So I want to start by reading you a letter. This is a letter that uh, the principal of Audubon sent me this week, uh, email. He sent me an email. And uh, because it may be, maybe you don't know this, we have a partnership with a school, the Audubon School is one of the most at-risk schools in the state of Iowa. And we decided that uh, we saw a need and we wanted as a church to try to meet the need in the way that we were gifted, the way that God has given us resources to do that. So we've tried to do that throughout the year. One of the things we're doing is obviously encouraging you to join as mentors. And I hadn't intended to do this, but after he sent me this, I said, well, I think this is what I should do. Because it maybe you think, well, what does God have to do with any of this? Well, here's a letter. Um, this is a, a letter from uh, one of the student's parents that uh, had met with uh, the principal. And this is what they shared with the principal, and he shared it with me. This is the parent. I grew up in a home where we went to church as a family. This was always important to my parents. But when I became an adult, I stopped attending church. Over the years, my mother continued to encourage me to join her for service. But I didn't take her up on her offer until last weekend. For some unknown reason, I called my mother and asked if I could join her for service. So last Sunday, I found myself sitting beside my mother at Hope Church, feeling good about spending time with her, but also enjoying the service. At that point, the Audubon mentoring video was shown on the screen. To my surprise, my, my child was showcased in the broadcast with his mentor. At first, I was terrified that he was going to misbehave on camera. As the video played out, I sat in astonishment, weeping with my mother. I leaned over and asked if she knew the video was going to be shown, but she had no idea. It was so strange, all the pieces that fell into place to have that moment, and I am so thankful that I made the call to my mother. Is that a God moment? I think that's a God moment. This is what Ed says uh, after that. We started our meeting with a lot of goosebumps and misty eyes, and it was another reminder of the powerful work the Lord does, bringing us together to accomplish amazing things and improving lives. So I thought, I should share that with you, because there's no explanation other than God. There's no other explanation. And so God is absolutely involved in this effort. Uh, my, I, I married into a family of preachers. My, my uh, wife's father, parents, and my father, her father is a preacher, and her grandfather was a preacher. And on the other side, they, he was a preacher. But the one thing that the, the great the Grandpa Jones, that's her grandfather, used to say is, when you start to minister to the needs of people, you'll never lack an audience because there's a lot of hurting people out there that just need to be encouraged. So thank God that we were able to be an encouragement to this, these parents and to this school. This, you know, this school. Uh, we, we're going to continue that. We did some stuff this week, but you don't need to go into that. But if you ever wonder whether God's in it, yeah, I think God's kind of into this. So I want to transition now to the message. Second message, right? So we're moving through Proverbs, and one of the things that happens in our lives is relationships. I mean, you know, unless you're a hermit somewhere in a cave, 
you have a relationship with a family, with friends, with neighbors, <coughs> with coworkers. And one of the things that you have to do is you have to maintain these relationships. You know, I mean, that's just part of good, healthy, emotional, and social behavior. Um, but how do you respond when somebody offends you? They, don't, they say something, they do something. <coughs> it's terribly hurtful. It's terribly offensive. Now, this will happen. To, it's not if, it's when, because it generally will happen. And, and it's going to happen many times, uh, and it's going to hurt, and uh, it will hurt it if it's a member of our family, if it's somebody at school, somebody at work, whatever, a friend of ours, and they say they do something, and we're left to decide what are we going to do. The thing is, what Proverbs says is very interesting. The Proverbs says that when somebody says something or does something that is offensive, that is hurtful, that is painful, um, you can allow it to take it, you can take it in and you can allow yourself to become bitter towards that person. But, the, the, but what Proverbs says is that is what a fool does. That's not what a wise person does. So <clears throat> what we want to talk about this uh, weekend is this, that maintaining relationships is really hard but necessary work and wise people seek to maintain healthy relationships. Wise people seek to maintain healthy relationships. So that's kind of what we want to look at because we all have those relationships. The question is, how do you repair relationships when they're broken? And and by the way, they may not be things that you did to break them. It may be somebody else broke it with you. Um, and, And how do you do that? How do you reconcile with other people? How do you repair these relationships? And I want to just give you three steps. The first one is this. Check your attitude. Check your attitude. And that's really hard to do. But look at what it says. This is Proverbs chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. Whoever belittles, and this is a little different translation than the one in your scripture, but I think it will be up on the screen. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he, is, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. <coughs> Now, he uses this phrase, whoever belittles a neighbor lacks sense. What does he mean by that? The phrase lacks sense is kind of interesting because the Hebrew word here is used for, is kind of the inner person, the heart. Now, we think of the heart, you know, when we think of the heart, we think of this organ or we think of I'm in love and my heart's pounding on my chest. But in in, in many of the Eastern cultures, the heart was the seed of who a person was. It was their inner person. It was their character. It was their personality. It, was, it, was, it defined who they were as a person. And what this, this verse is saying is, a person who belittles his neighbor has a deep, significant character problem. That, that something is terribly wrong within them, that they would come to a place and think that's okay. And, and, and it, you know, it's often easy to uh, maintain an attitude of superiority, especially when somebody says something that is hurtful to you, they do something that's hurtful to you. It's easy to have an attitude of resentment towards that, the other person. Uh, we would say, well, I would never say, I would never do what they did. I would never say what they did, say. Um, how inconsiderate was for, for them to do what they do, to say what they did? How inconsiderate? How could they do that? Uh, and so we carry an attitude of superiority, and this often, and it can, lead to slander. Now, what is slander? Slander in the book of Proverbs doesn't mean that you give a false report. That doesn't mean you make stuff up about a person. It doesn't mean you, you say things that aren't true. Uh, slander, really, is, is very interesting. 
Slander is any communication designed to diminish the person in the eyes of the listener. What you may be saying is absolutely true, but your, your role in, in telling this other person who's not the person who's, you know, that you have a problem with, it's a third party, that your role in telling this person is to diminish this person in their eyes. What you may be saying is true. And sometimes we justify it. We say, well, I'm not lying. It's the truth. But that's slander. That's what the book of Proverbs says slander is. It's designed to diminish the person in the eyes of the listener. What is the root of our slander? What is the root of ill will towards others? Why do we gossip and slander others? When someone hurts us, we often are quick to... um, we're often quick to give them the worst case scenario. So they, they bend the truth and we say, they're a liar. You can't believe anything they say. You know, they're, they're a horrible person. And we give them the worst case scenario. On the other hand, when it's us, <coughs> we, what do we say? Well, I'm a complex person. I have a lot of challenging circumstances. So we justify our own behavior. Don't we do that? I mean, can we be honest and just say that's what we do? We tend to be a lot harder about other people and we tend to judge their behavior even though it may be a minor offense or something, we make it a big offense. But when we do something, and it may be even bigger than that, we kind of diminish it. It says, oh, but I'm a complex person and I've got a lot of stress. In other words, we look down on them and we look up to ourselves. We look down on them and we look up. We, we look at their lives with a microscope, right? But we look at ourselves kind of like this vague, beautiful-looking mirror. Proverbs tells us that, white people, or that, that wise people hold their tongue and they check their attitude. They hold their tongue and they check. That's what a wise person does. They don't slander. They, they, they check their attitude and they hold their tongue. And the New Testament supports this. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Uh, this is page 738. If you don't have a Bible, the chair Bibles are in front of, in the chair in front of you or down the row a little bit. But if you go to page uh, 498, I want to read this uh, Excuse me, 738, 738, uh, Matthew chapter 7. It says this in verse 3. And why do you worry about the speck in your friend's eyes when you have a log in your own? This is Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. How can you think of saying to your your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eyes. So the first thing that we need to do if we're going to repair these relationships, we have to check our own attitude. We have to just say, what, am I going in with my guns blazed or am I, am I keeping my mouth shut and am I thinking through this? Secondly, we need to forgive quickly and often. We need to forgive quickly and often. Look at what it says in page 498. This is Proverbs 24. Don't testify against your neighbor's Without cause. Don't lie about them and don't say, now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. I'll get even with them. So when we're offended, one of the quickest things that we can do is we can move to an attitude like, well, I'm not going to uh, take that from you. Um, Or we say, you know, you took this from me, now I'm going to take this from you. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Uh, we've, and we, we do this to feel justified to hold a grudge. We feel like, well, they hurt us, it's their fault, and uh, they were the ones that, that started this thing. Um, 
some people even go so far to feel they have freedom, uh, the freedom to get even, and they say, well, didn't, it doesn't say in the Bible, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, you know. Um, but notice uh, Proverbs 17.9. I want to look at this verse a little bit, take a little bit of time. This is one of those verses you want to kind of turn around a little bit because it has some really interesting implications. Proverbs 17, verse 9, in verse, uh, page 493, it says this, Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So the question I want to ask you is, what is this saying here? It says, whoever covers an offense. What does it mean to cover an offense here? Now, you might think, well, does that mean just forget about it? Just get over it? Just move past it? Just let it go? Is that what, is that what, just drop it. Is that what he's saying? Cover an offense. Well, that, that's where when you read the book of Proverbs, it's very important that you understand the totality of what Scripture is saying, is specifically the book of Proverbs, because that's just one proverb, and you need to take that within the context of the other Proverbs. Because there's a couple of other Proverbs. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 20. I don't have this in your notes, but Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6, and it says this, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. That's Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. So as you look at the full teaching of Scripture, it it seems to be saying, no, no, don't just drop, you don't just drop it. Uh, you deal with it directly. You deal with an offense directly, but you do it in love. Notice the last part of that verse said, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. What does that mean? That means that, that this, this sincere friend is telling you what you need to hear. Things you don't want to hear. Things you don't want your friend to say to you, but you have to have them say that to you because you need them to say that to you. Because there's issues that they can see that you can't. Because every one of us has a blind spot. We probably have more than one. And they see it. We don't see it. And they point it out. And it's hard for them. They're risking their friendship. But they're willing to bring it up to us. And they're really willing to do it in a loving way. So right there we have a situation where we're told that uh, we're not just to drop it. We're to deal with it. So as you look at the full teaching, we see a full response. You don't just drop it. You deal with directly with the offense. But you do it in love. There's an open rebuke. The wounds and the words from a sincere friend. They're words you don't want to hear, but you must hear. They're delivered in love by a friend. Okay? Now, there needs to be repentance, too. There needs to be repentance. uh, If there's ever going to be restoration. But here's the point, and here's really kind of where we come in. Because we're only half the the equation, right? Uh, When somebody offends us, we're the offended party. Um, But we're only half the equation. We, We can't do what needs to be done on their end, but we can do what needs to be done on our end. And what we're being told in the book of Proverbs is don't hold a grudge. Don't hold a grudge. Don't try to get back at them. Don't try to get even with them. Uh, So if we continually dwell on it, we rehearse it with others, we slander them, then we begin to develop an ill will towards that person, and eventually it will lead us to slandering other people. And again, slandering doesn't mean you're telling a false, something false. Slandering means you're telling something true, but you're doing it in a way so, that you'll, so this person you're telling will feel less uh, well about the person that you're talking about. So covering offense here means stop repeating it. Stop repeating it. Forgive them. You know, most people don't understand this, but when you forgive a person, uh, generally speaking, the first step of forgiveness is you basically saying, you know what, I'm going to let them go, I'm going to let them off the hook. I'm not going to allow this to to take emotional energy from my life and drain emotional energy from my life. I'm just going to let this go. Um, 
and I may, may speak to them, but, and I'll do it in a proper way in the right time, but uh, ultimately it comes to a place where you, a covering offense here means that you stop repeating it. You forgive them. Proverbs 17.9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. So there needs to be a point where you're willing to forgive. You're willing to forget. You're willing to move on. You're willing to uh, say, you know what, um, I'm over it, I'm done, and we're going to move through this. Again, we're, we're really talking about relationships that you have, family relationships, friends, workers, co-workers, things along those lines. People that you, you are, you know, you have these people in your life on a regular basis, and you have to find a way to work through those. So to forgive an offense means you cover the cost. You take the hit. You pay the price. You don't require them to pay you back, or you don't uh, have to get even with them. You don't take revenge. That's what it means to forgive them. You cover. See, when somebody's offended, somebody has to pay the cost, right? Uh, either they have to pay the cost, or you have to pay the cost. So when you forgive them, you pay the cost. You pay the cost. You take the cost upon yourself. And this is what the 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 book of uh, Ephesians says, the New Testament teaching. This is page 897, Paul's word in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Notice what he says. He says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So you want to say, well, how am I supposed to forgive this person? Well, Paul tells us the last phrase, forgive how? Uh, What does it say? Forgive one another just as what? God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Well, that's a high bar, isn't it? That's a crazy high bar. Uh, You know, Jesus told this parable, and I want to do a sermon on it sometime, and I'm going to summarize it, and I've probably done it a few times, but I just love this parable because I think it just, it it gives us a picture of, what Jesus is getting at. So the story is told of a man who owes the king, he owns this, this ruler, uh, mucho money, more money than he has, than he can pay him back. And, and he, he's called to give an account. And he goes in and he's, the, the ruler basically says, you owe me this much money. And the guy goes, well, I don't have, I don't have it. I, I'll never have it. I can't pay you back. I, my debt to you is beyond my ability to pay it, right? And he says, well, here's your lucky day. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Your debt is gone. So he's like happy as lark. He walks out, has this huge debt that's been forgiven. For no, you know, for, for, he didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. it just, all of it is it's just grace, right? So what does he do? He walks out and he finds the first guy that owes him three bucks. He grabs him around the neck. And he says, you owe me three bucks. Pay me now. Pay me now. Again, this is the mat interpretation and contemporized, but you, 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 you find it in there. And he grabs him around the neck and says, you owe me three bucks. Pay up, pay up. He says, well, I don't have it. He says, well, you don't have it. You're going to prison. You're going to debtor's prison. Well, I'll never be able to pay it back then. So he, gets, he, throw, he throws him into prison. So the people know this guy's been forgiven all his money, and they know what he just did. And they go back to this ruler, and they go, do you want what? Let me tell you what this guy just did. The ruler calls him back in and he says, Did you not just understand what I just did for you? I gave you a debt. I forgave you a debt that was beyond your ability. I mean, it was more than you could ever pay. And this guy owes you three bucks. Are you kidding me? 
Now, what was Jesus' point in this parable? His point is this. You will have a really hard time forgiving people if you don't think you've been forgiven very much by Him. If you don't think that Jesus dying on the cross for your sin was much, then you will have a very high t- hard time forgiving people. You'll say, well, you don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. You don't, you don't understand what they did. Three bucks. That's what they did. Three bucks. What did, what, did, what did we do to him? Our sins put him on a cross. Our sins. He gave his life for our sins. The God of the universe, the one who created the heavens and the earth, came from heaven to earth, and our sins put him on a cross. The debt that we could never pay, he paid. When you begin to grasp that and understand that, you say, hey, it's three bucks. Let's move on. Nothing to see here. That's the point of the parable. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Millions and millions. All right? So, check your attitude. Forgive often and quickly. And then number three, overcome evil with good. Now, you would say (coughs) the first two are challenging. They're hard. They're difficult. And they are. Uh, the third one's impossible. So I'm just going to tell you what's impossible. Uh, look at what it says in uh, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water. You will, be heat burn- you will heat burning coals of shame on their heads, and the Lord will reward you. Now some of you, when you read this verse, say, well, I'm just going to be nice to my enemies because then God's really going to get them. Well, I don't think that's actually what it's saying. Um, uh, What he's saying here is quite interesting. He's saying it's not enough just to withhold revenge. (laughs) This is where it's going to get like really... You know, remember in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you know what? You you guys think that you if you haven't slept with a woman who's not your wife, you haven't committed adultery or you haven't slept with a prostitute. He says, you know what? If if you've done it in your head, you've done it. They go, whoa, man, that's beyond what we were thinking. And, and so what, what does he do here? Because this is kind of right out of the Sermon on the Mount. It's right out of the Beatitudes, this, this, this Proverbs phrase. What is he saying here? He says, not enough just to withhold revenge. Uh, in other words, you can't get to a place where you say, well, okay, I won't get revenge, but I hope somebody else gets them. No. You know what this is saying? That you move from ill will towards them to good will. That you hope that they succeed. That you hope that their life would go well. That you hope that, that, that things... No, no, you say, that's really crazy. In other words, there needs to be... A, what, what he's saying here is there needs to be a move from ill will towards good to good, goodwill uh, to the offending person. In other words, can you have a positive will for their good? Can you hurt uh, for them more than they hurt you? Can you say, my heart breaks because life isn't going well for them? Can you, can you say that about a person who has offended you? Look at Proverbs chapter 24, 17. Don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. Again, we have to take the totality of Proverbs. We can't just take one. For the Lord will be displeased with you and will turn His anger away from them. <laughs> now, now, this is kind of interesting because this... This is, uh, what is he saying here? 
Uh, why is it so important to move from wishing ill will towards someone to wishing the, their goodwill? Uh, I think Jesus uh, is kind of speaking about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and you don't have to turn there, but it's Matthew 5:21. He says this, You have heard that our ancestors were told, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say to you, if, if, if you're even angry with somebody, if you're subject, to, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. How do you think murder starts? How does murder take place? And not, I'm not talking about random murder. I'm talking about this anger, this... this how does that start? If you can find happiness in somebody else's unhappiness, you're carrying a seed of hate within your heart. And there's an opportunity for a greater evil. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. That's what the Proverbs is saying. That if you are carrying within your heart a desire for bad things to happen to this person, you could come to a place where you say, and if I'm that person, I'm okay with that too. And here's the thing. The, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? See, in other words, you need to deal with that small seed. You need to overcome evil with good. Somebody has said every acorn has the power to become a forest. Every acorn has the power to become a forest. And so in the same way, if you allow these evil things, this hatred, this bitterness to, to grow, and that's why it tells us in, in Hebrews to, to be careful to not allow a root of bitterness to grow in our hearts. Why? Because that can grow to a place where we do terrible things. We say, how in the world could I go from where I was to doing this terrible thing? Bitterness in your heart, anger in your heart. You haven't released them. You haven't forgiven them. Well, how do you do this? How do you, how do you go from having ill will towards somebody to having good will to, to them? Again, I told you, this is a high bar. This is a tough bar. Notice what he says. This is Proverbs chapter 21, 17, 24, 17, page 498. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Let the Lord see it and be displeased and turn his anger away. Now notice, when you hate somebody for sin, for the sin they commit against you, God is, get this, really what, the, what the, this proverb is saying is that when you, when you are angry with somebody and you begin to hate somebody for a sin they committed against you, you know what? God hates the hate in your heart as much as he did the offense that the person did to make against you. Do you get that? You, let me say that one more time. So when, you, when somebody offends you, they say something, they do something, you become angry, you become bitter, you, you come to a place where maybe you slander them. God hates that behavior of you as much as the first offense that caused that. <laughs> when you... When you do this, no, why would, why would God hate this so much? When you do that, you're putting, your place in the, in, in, you're putting yourself in the place of God, aren't you? When somebody offends you and you begin, to, you begin to wish ill will on them and wish judgment on them and all that, what are you doing? You're saying, God, if I were you, this is what I would do. And I don't know why you're not doing it. Because if you were really smart, if you were really God, you would have done this. And I can't understand why you're not doing that. What are we doing when we're doing that? Somebody has said, when we begin to become God in our judgment, it's a servant becoming the Lord. 
We are the servant becoming the Lord. We are saying, God, I know better than you. I'm a servant, but I, I can do this. I know better than you. You're a servant becoming the Lord. You don't know what the person deserves. Only, has, only the Lord has the right to give that person what they deserve. But you, the servant, have become the Lord. Now, what we need to do is we need to, at this moment, take the Old Testament and say, how do we read this, this thought of the Old Testament of, of not wishing ill will, but wishing goodwill, and not going from a servant to Lord? How do we, how do, we do that? How do we flip the switch? And the answer is, in the Old Testament, what does God say? In the Old Testament, God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Right? See that phrase used over and over. In the New Testament, what does it say? God says, I'll take the vengeance. I'll take the vengeance on myself. What did Jesus come to do? We read this suffering servant passage. Notice what it says. So the Old Testament says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus says, I'll take the vengeance. Isaiah 53 says, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. Here's the point I want you to see. The only way that we'll stop, that, that we'll stop going from servants acting like lords is when we, be, we behold the beauty of the Lord who became a servant. It's the only way it will change our heart. The way that we'll stop being judgmental of people, the way that we'll stop, we'll begin to forgive people, and the way that it'll, it'll all turn us around is when we're, the, the, the point is the problem we have here and the arrogance that we have here and the judgmental attitude that we have here and the slanderous, the, the ways that we have with our, with our words and with our, the way we deal with people, the way that it'll turn around, the way that we'll stop going from being a servant to be trying to act as a Lord is when we see our Lord becoming a servant. And we'll see that that's our only hope. He took the vengeance that we deserve. We need a heart for forgiveness. We need to let go of vengeance. We gain a heart of forgiveness as we look at Jesus taking the vengeance that we deserve. By far the most powerful way to overcome vengeance, the way to overcome superiority, the way to overcome slander, is to see Him bearing the cost for you on the cross. And that will break your heart. will stop you from holding on to hurts that can lead to bitterness. See, our problem is we haven't understood forgiveness. We're trying to go from a servant to be a Lord. We know better. We know what this person deserves. No, we don't. We have no idea what they deserve. So, check your attitude. Forgive quickly and often. Right? And we have to move to a place where we say, you know, we've got to allow good to conquer evil. And the way we do that is we look at how the ultimate good conquered evil is the servant. The Lord became a servant. And we stop going from servant to Lord. <laughs> we look to Jesus and what He's done. We forgive as we've been forgiven. And we, we let trespasses go and we wish not ill will but goodwill on all 
hard to do. It's impossible to do. But it only comes as we meditate on the cross and we meditate on the greatest Lord of all, Lord of lords, King of kings and Lord of lords, and how he became the ultimate servant of all for you, for me. And if we begin to reflect upon that, we say, of course I can forgive you. It was three bucks. I can overlook that. No, I don't have to talk about this person. I don't have to talk this person down from other people. I don't have to build myself up. I, can't, I don't have to do that. But we come to a place where we say, I need to stop being the servant moving to the Lord, the Lord chair and see that the Lord left his chair and became a servant and climbed upon a cross. And when we begin to reflect upon that, our attitudes and our hearts will change immediately. The problem is, if you are bitterness in your heart and anger in your heart towards somebody right now, you are a servant and you're trying to behave as a Lord and you weren't meant to be that. Look at the real Lord and look at what he did for you. And as you reflect upon that, he will break your heart. It will change your heart. It will change your attitude. Only he can transform you. Only he can transform me. Stand with me. Let's pray. So, Father, help us because this is a supernatural work that only your spirit can do through your word in our hearts. Our hearts are hard. Our hearts are calloused. Our hearts are judgmental. Our hearts, Father, are just broken. And we need you to come into our hearts and redo some rebuilding work to soften our hearts, to change our hearts. Father, help us to see that you sent Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he became a servant of all. Help us not to climb up on the Lord's chair and to play judge and jury and executioner. But help us to remember that we've been forgiven. And help us to bask in our forgiveness. And as we bask in our forgiveness, and we, as we look to the true Lord of lords, you will change our hearts. We become less judgmental. And even those things that are said and done to us will drop away from us as we release them. (coughs) Because we're basking in Your grace. We're basking in Your mercy. And we understand who the Lord of Lords is in not only the universe, but in our lives. Help us, Father, because without Your help, we are unable to do this. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.